Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Happy President's Day, Queen City. It's good to be back. And uh, this is one of those holidays where I'm not going to ask you who your favorite president is because we'd probably it'd be a train wreck by the end of the show. But happy President's Day, everybody out there. If you are working, we appreciate you being with us. Hit us up on the phone line, 704-570-9610. Same number on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. And on Twitter, at Kyle Bailey Club, it's at Kyle Bailey, CL. UB, great to be with you here on a Monday. It is one of the uh, one of the slower weeks in the sports calendar, but you know what? Challenge accepted. Now, it's not a challenge for us today in that there are multiple things to talk about, and predictably, the Daytona 500 was postponed because when they race on Sundays, it rains, wherever that is. Um, I'm not sure what we're calling that law. Maybe Smoke's come up with a better plan since Friday, but uh, we are going to call it something before too long. Daytona, the green flag is set to drop in, uh, what, Smoke, 57 minutes and some change, I believe. Uh, technically 4.30, but coverage starts ah. at 4 o'clock. So once 4.30 hits, you will not hear me once again in this show. That's not true because he's got a job to do. But uh, we, will, we will be providing uh, semi-live commentary in the, five, the first, 90, first 90 minutes of the race, Smoke. You're going to sit here and watch the whole damn thing tonight anyway, right? Yes. All right. So, what do you what are you worried about? What do you, you you can't be giving like constant, relentless commentary anyway. No, but uh, just to let you know. Starting at around four thirty, you might be hearing a little bit more. Because you're invested, right? You're yeah. deeply invested because they're competing out there for you know the holy grail of uh, you know NASCAR wins. The Daytona five hundred rained out yesterday, and so again they will race today at four thirty. As Smoke just said, coverage begins at four o'clock. Also, the Xfinity race, I think, still on for 9 p.m. tonight, yes? Yes, too much rain in the area for the jet dryers to get going by 11 o'clock. Also, we also had a jet dryers crash. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's very, very interesting. The last time that the Daytona 500 got fully rained out on a Sunday, meaning no laps were run. Yeah. Uh, it happened in 2012, so the race was moved to Monday, which was in prime time. Uh, Ford front row was in that same Daytona 500. And the jet dryer accident happened, except this time it was a lot less noteworthy because, you know, Juan Pablo Montoya hitting, was it, gonna, yeah. <laughs> so, hitting it 140 miles an hour I was, was a lot say, different. When it happened, then all of a sudden it was an onslaught of Juan Pablo Montoya jokes on NASCAR Twitter. So, you know, there's that. Um, 704-570-9610. Hit us up on the text line to start the show. There are a lot of things to talk about. Really good weekend in the ACC from an entertainment standpoint, that is. Uh, number one, Purdue was upset by Ohio State, led by an interim head coach. And, well, Joe Lenardi and the uh, Bracket Industrial Complex will just pretend it never happened and continue telling you how concerning the ACC is. Uh, but also, the NBA All-Star Weekend did, in fact, take place. I double-checked this morning because I watched the highlights. I, I take a great deal of pride in doing my job well. Smoke can say the same thing, honestly. We take a great deal of pride in doing our jobs well, in that we try to be up to date on everything going on. We co we cover a ton of local teams, a lot, a lot of content, I should say, Hornets and Panthers. Like, that's enough to keep one person busy as it is. Uh, but we always try to stay in tune to the larger sports world because we are, in fact, sports fans at our core. Um, I've seen highlights of NBA All-Star Weekend, and that's it. It is unwatchable. It is boring. I don't even think it's tailored for me anymore. Like, the, the average, I'm 38 years old. The average NBA fan is estimated to be somewhere between 35 and 40 years old at this point. Uh, the NBA clearly places a um, a great deal of emphasis on courting the 18 to 26-year-old especially. But you know, the average age of the NBA fan is about millennial to Gen Z, 35 to 44. So, look, the NBA wants every man from 18 to 44 years old. That is their big, wide, key demographic. 
but um, they really kind of skew this thing toward the young, the really younger guys. I grew up a diehard NBA fan, but at this point, my attitude toward All-Star Weekend is I'm good. It's, an, it's, a, it's a vacation weekend for me. Why would I care when these guys so clearly do not? What was the end score last night? 211 to 186? Yes, correct. 211 to 186. And we, we make jokes about the NBA All-Star game not featuring any defense. It didn't again. And I'm not up here to wave my, you know, shake my fist at the crowd angrily or the cloud, that is. And, you know, I can't believe these guys don't play. De- it's been this way for forever. And I'm not going to get up here and rant and rave about it. But if you want total and full disclosure from me, I spent more time thinking about whether or not the Panthers should pursue DK Metcalf than I did All-Star Weekend. It's, it's just not worth my time anymore. Um, the, the NBA should just replace All-Star Weekend with the in-season tournament or something. Like, that at least seemed to get, garner some real attention and excitement. Um, these guys don't care. And if they don't care, I am certainly not wasting my Sunday night watching a game that goes 211-186 where guys are taking half-court shots. Um, they, they, that, that's the best part about it, too. They're heaving up threes. They shot 168 three-pointers last night between them. All right? And they shot the West shot 35% from three. It is an unbearably bad, unwatchable product. They had to, like, they were gasping to get to the finish line on Saturday night. Because once again, they got to dip down into the G League to get guys like Mac McClung, you know, to come up and give us something of a reason to watch, I guess. Because I'll be real with you, Steph Curry versus Sabrina Ionescu shooting threes ain't doing it for me. Like I mean, may, maybe watching Kenny Smith get upset about uh, Sabrina not using the ladies' tees, quote unquote, is something worth watching. But what's why? I, I, just give me Hornets basketball back. I'm I'm ready to watch the actual Hornets again. I don't. Well, you know what I watched last night instead, Smoke. This this is a this is a very vulnerable moment for me on the air uh, because over the years I have I've been kind of vocal about my disdain for reality TV. Uh oh. And dating shows at that. Oh, boy. And my wife finally got me to cave. And when she convinced me that because season six of Love is Blind on Netflix features an all-Charlotte cast. What? Oh, you didn't know this? Man, missing Yeah, out. Love is Blind on Netflix. I, I have, for a number of years, given my wife and everybody I know a hard time about watching trash TV. I don't really care. I just like to poke at them, right? But I don't get it. It's not my thing. But I am absolutely enthralled. By Love is Blind season six. And at at first I was going to be kind of ashamed to say it, but I'm not really ashamed to say it anymore because we had a full-blown like breakdown of the show, me and Wes and Walker and Fiddy and some of the other guys earlier this morning in the fishbowl. That's how I spent my Sunday night. I wasn't, I enjoy my family time. I enjoy being with my family. I'm not going to waste my family time, even as a sports talk radio host, watching an exhibition basketball game that the players couldn't give a crap about. They don't. They didn't want to be in Indianapolis. They wanted to be on vacation like their teammates. They wanted the recognition of being all-stars, but they didn't want to be there. And it's been that way for a minute, and it's going to continue to be that way. Like, I remember 1996. All right, I, I thought about this game earlier today. In 1996, the NBA All-Star game, I was, uh, I was 10 years old. And I remember seeing that game in particular. No, nothing particularly special about it necessarily, but... You know, I was just looking at the rosters earlier today. Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Grant Hill, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan. That was Those were the East starters, like the West starters. Sean Kemp, Jason Kidd, Clyde Drexler, Charles Barkley, Akeem Olajuwon. And, and this is not to say that this generation was better than that generation. It's not even that. It's that in 1996, when I was a kid, it was a real novelty to see all these guys together in one place, right? When you turned on the TV, network TV, NBA All-Star game, holy crap, there's a layup line 
featuring Shaq and Penny and Michael and Scotty and Grant and Reggie Miller and Glenn Rice and Alonzo Mourning and just wow, right? There was the wow factor. We didn't get to see that stuff very often. Well, you fast forward to 2024, all these guys are on everybody's podcasts. They all grew up saying, playing the same AAU circuits together. They're all buddies. They all know each other. Hell, they date a lot of the same women. Like, it, there's just so much that it, intermingling there. It doesn't have the same impact. And that wouldn't, that'd be one thing if there was still a great deal of competitive fire in the game itself. But there's not. They, they don't care. They don't want to compete. They don't want to be in the you know mid-market, mid-western cities that they're in in February. So, I, you know, I'm not mad at him anymore. Like, this isn't new news. It's been this way for a while. So Adam Silver needs to figure out what to do with this event because NBA All-Star Weekend is officially the worst of all All-Star Weekends by a country mile. Like baseball, and I'm sure hockey fans will tell you, are the lone holdouts where, you know, it, it's a pretty good time. Uh, the NFL gave up on the Pro Bowl pretty much, and, and understandably so. The NBA's got to overhaul this. It's unwatchable. It's not good content. And if you do like it, that's great. I'm not here to judge you. But, you know, last year, record low ratings by a massive – I don't know if we've seen the ratings today, but – have not. All I've seen today is just, you know, uh, feedback that suggests that it wasn't any better than it was a year ago. Uh, I do know All-Star Saturday was up from last year, so I think it just shows you that the main course now is All-Star Saturday. It's not the all-star game itself. And I just, I, I was talking to you because a lot of these guys that are now playing in the NBA, the younger guys, and I'm not, I'm not putting LeBron in this, but like, you know, basically let's say Anthony Edwards, for example, he was born in 2000. Some of the guys that were rookies like Victor Wimbenyama, he was born in 04. Same for Brandon Miller. A lot of these guys, by the time they were 10 years old, that was about 10, 12 years ago. What were we saying back then? People were not caring about the all-star game back then. So they've been grown and basically have all, all they've known is basically, oh, the all-star game doesn't matter. That's what they've heard from the talking heads. So basically when they get to this event, it's like, well, it doesn't really matter. And boom, when you have, when you have so many people saying it doesn't even matter for as long as they have, it just continues to get more and more like this. And I think last night was culmination of all that talk and all that you know thought process of this game, not mattering. Yeah. I just, I was reading another article on it. Um, you know, it's just, I like basketball. This is not a, an anti-NBA rant. It's an anti-All-Star Weekend rant. It's a terrible product. It just is. And I will readily admit that, again, I, I don't think they're targeting me anymore. I'm 38 years old. The lime green screen that Trey Young shooting threes on and all that stuff, I don't think that's for me necessarily. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. But it's not just me. A lot of us that grew up on the NBA watch this and think, this is. I mean, Larry Bird was essentially begging these guys to compete on Saturday. You got the audio of that? I know you, you played it for me, so I know you've got it somewhere. Larry Bird, this was Saturday, Sunday. I believe. Was it Sunday before Sunday the game? Yeah. Yeah, this was Larry Bird not so subtly like asking these guys to please play hard. The one thing I would really like to see is they play hard tonight in this, uh, uh, tonight in this All-Star game. I think it's very important when you have the best, the best players in the world together, you've got to compete, and you've got to play hard, and you've got to show the fans how good they really are. So I hope you enjoy your weekend. I'm enjoying mine. Have a good All-Star game. <laughs> please, please, please play hard and, and just reinforce to the fans that you actually give a damn. Please play hard. And then the players did anything but go out there and play hard. Oh, I wish they had a camera on Larry Bird last night. Because <laughs> he always looks pissed off. But, I mean, last night, it would have been a different level of pissed off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Woody from Stanley says, LOL, I mean, it's the All-Star game. Why should they play like it's a regular game for someone to get? Why? 
Why? Because they're playing basketball for a living. If, if that's the overriding attitude, then, then you need to scrap the game. If th- that's what the NFL's done here. The NFL said, you know what? It's too dangerous. It's a, it's a, it's a collision sport. These guys have big contracts. They're not going to, they're going to brother-in-law this thing for four quarters. Let's come up with something else, bro. There's real footage of like Stefan Marbury and AI going at it. Not that long ago, Kobe and Mike going at it. Like guys in the all-star game. You, I know you, you seem like a young dude, Woody dudes in the all-star game used to go at it, at least on an individual level. All right. So I, you know, and I'll say this, I'll give credit to the NFL for as much as they got crapped on for the pro bowl for many years. I think ever since they essentially moved it to seven on seven, you can see a lot of the guys are having a lot of fun and it actually comes across more joy. Like I'm not really watching it, but yeah, when I see reruns of it, it's like, Oh, they're actually kind of enjoying this now. It's a lot more fun for the guys. Yeah. No, I'm with so you. I got good credit to the NFL on that. No, I like the thing is it's, it's, it's a crap product. It is. I'm sorry if that hurts some feelings, but you know, as a longtime sports fan, I'm ready for Hornets basketball. Give me the Hornets back on Thursday. I'd rather watch that a thousand times out of a thousand. TC says, KB, we're all turning into our dads. Happens to every generation. Back in my day, Sonny. No, I feel it. I really do. And I'm trying to acknowledge it as, I, as I'm speaking here. But they don't play hard. Like, that. that's not. That's something that gener- that, that's a generational thing that we can all agree. When dudes don't really look like they give a crap and they're not playing hard, I don't think that's a generational thing. That's that's a reason for me to go watch Love is Blind on Netflix. 704-570-9610. Hit us up. We'll take your phone calls when we come back. That and a suggestion from the Pacific Northwest that could have ramifications here in Carolina. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Join the Mac and Bone Show on Tuesday. Plenty of Daytona recap, hoops talk, and what the bleep features a man eating raw chicken every day. Huh. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The NBA All-Star game was horrendous. I thought the entire weekend was rough. And I say this as somebody, a kid at heart, still a sports fan kid at heart, who loves the league, loves the game, but it's unwatchable. And I I will take your suggestions on how to fix it or just your thoughts in general, but then we'll move on. Because I don't want to be the old guy shouting at the clouds to get off my lawn, dude. I'm 38 freaking years old. I should be right still, you know, roughly in the middle of the NBA's key demographic just in terms of, you know, who they're trying to attract to watch. And yes, I know it skews younger than that, but uh, the average age of an NBA fan is between 35 and 45 and I, I just don't know what they're giving people anymore that would make them want to watch. Travis just hit me up on the FanDuel text line and says, hey, Anthony Edwards told us nobody wants to come here and compete. So the NBA should scrap the game and just announce the players and move on. I'm sick of this crap. This generation continues to demonstrate how selfish it is. Why should I have to beg NBA professionals to compete? Hell, the great Larry Bird even asked them to compete prior to the game, and they still laughed him off. I'm done with this garbage. The players don't care. Why should we? That's from Travis. That I mean, most the essence of that is my opinion too love the game i'm ready to get back to watching the hornets on thursday night but uh, i'm pretty much done with the nba all-star weekend it's unwatchable it's not worth anybody's time i I hate to to put it in such blunt terms and i'm sure some people will disagree and we can talk it out but i don't think it's worth anybody's time for the most part 704-570-9610 hit us up oh and by the way there was a sam amick piece um from over the weekend that indicates that these players are indicating to you know the league leadership that they kind of want to be paid for the All-Star game to care. This was directly from Sam Amick. Quote, 
But here's the uncomfortable truth. In this season, in which the league's inaugural in-season tournament paid players of the winning team $500,000 apiece, that may be the only way to fix this problem. This apparently is the pay-for-play era. Even if the league already has players topping the $50 million mark in annual salary and a seven-figure minimum, as one league source shared afterward, when the players had talked privately about why they'd chosen this tough-to-watch style of play, the in-season tournament set the kind of precedent that won't be forgotten anytime soon. End quote. So, there you go. They they want to be compensated for competing in the NBA All-Star game. So, just scrap it. Play the in-season tournament then or something. I, I'm not really sure how you're supposed to do this. I'm also not necessarily under the misguided impression that Adam Silver's just going to listen to this show and say, you know what, he's right, we're done. Uh, at the same time, though, fans, it, it, you saw what you saw. They, they don't care. They're not trying. And so most of us, if you didn't get paid to watch that game last night, most of you didn't. If you didn't get paid to watch that game, most of you didn't. Hell, I kind of do. And I and I, I opted for hi- highlights this morning. I watched Love is Blind, Charlotte Edition on Netflix. And I hate reality TV for the most part. Yeah, what is that show about? Uh, it is about, so season six is about, uh, it's, it's Charlotte-based, right? So ba- my, I'm not maybe not the best resource for this. But basically, you get a bunch of singles unattached you put them in pods they got to talk to each other without seeing each other first they have a bunch of like dates quote unquote conversations and by the way this is not going to be a full breakdown of a dating show a lot of you haven't seen but it is one of the most incredible social experiments that i've ever seen and my wife talked me into it because it was a charlotte cast and i can't stop watching now so like these people smoke legitimately they date quote unquote on the other side of a wall they can't see each other they're dating multiple people if they form a connection they get engaged, like actually engaged. What? Then there's a reveal after the engagement where they see each other for the first time. And sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Then they go off to Mexico to a resort with other couples that got engaged. Then that's where the debauchery starts. Then they come back to Charlotte, apparently, and they stay in, a, in an apartment for a little while and start to live together. I'm only like three or four episodes in, but bro, I can't stop. I can't stop. Wow, the engagement part. Of real, wow, I, I can't, I can't stop watching it, man. And I'm not ashamed to say it because it's absolutely amazing. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. Christian says, I think people are taking this All Star Game stuff way too serious. It's supposed to be a chill, entertaining weekend. Why do we need to see a low scoring eighty five to eighty one game? Just relax with eight X's. Christian, you couldn't have missed the point anymore if you tried. Um, it's first of all about marketing the game. It's a night, a weekend, but a night where you get the game's biggest stars together as ambassadors of the sport to market this sport to the rest of the world. And when the players give the very clear indication on that night that they can't be bothered to give a damn, it's a terrible look. It's also an event that drew a lot of fans into this sport over the years, right? I mean, it's drawn a lot of fans. I'm telling you, you might not understand it, but back in the late 90s, early aughts, when we got to see MJ and Kobe and Iverson and Shaq and all these guys on the floor together, you know, one time a year, it was it was really a novelty. It was a big damn deal. And look, times change. We all get that. But when you don't care and there's nothing special about it and the players don't want to compete, now you can't even get all-star caliber players outside of Jalen Brown to compete in the dunk competition. M- MJ did. Dominique Wilkins did. The stars of the game used to do it every year. I think Dominique competed in it five times. MJ did three times. LeBron still hasn't and won't. Um, speaking of that, should we play it? <laughs> Stephen A. Smith this morning went, uh, I mean, just 
loaded for bear, came in loaded for bear and said the reason that the dunk competition sucks is because of LeBron James. They saw LeBron James using a layup line pregame as his own slam dunk performance. And he did it on purpose. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is when we look at the demise of the slam dunk from an historical perspective, there is no one who knows basketball who will refute what I'm saying. There is no one who will do it. LeBron James refusing to participate in the slam dunk contest was the beginning and the spark plug of its demise. Period. There you go. Said that uh, he wouldn't do it, but then he would taunt the fans in his layup lines by doing his own personal dunk competition. And he's not wrong about that. Kendrick Perkins saw him start to talk about it, and Kendrick lost it. He's like, yep, I've been saying this for years. LeBron is the reason that the dunk competition sucks now. And LeBron's good friends with Kendrick, too. Yeah, yeah. Or at least at one point. I just, yeah, to, to the to Christian again on the text line, he's like, what's the big deal? I don't want to watch 85 or 81. Well, I don't either. And you don't have to on a nightly basis in the NBA anymore. I mean, the average score on a nightly basis is like 125-118. Nobody's asking for 85-81. It's just a shame and rather embarrassing when the league's biggest stars that are supposed to be its ambassadors clearly can't be bothered to give a damn about the event, yet they expect people to watch and fork over tons of money to, to go and attend and all that sort of stuff. It, it's, it's turned into an embarrassing night for the NBA. Uh, Ryan's up first on the phone lines. Ryan, what's going on, man? Hey, uh, hey, Kyle. Um, back, back, like, and you mentioned it back in the '90s. You know, I'm in my 40s, so I've, I, I remember the Jordan era and all that. But back in the '90s, they, 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 they had the, they had the NBA Stay in School Jam, and they, that, that, that was strictly to get kids involved. Like they, they rewarded kids, kids who had perfect attendance in school or, or missed one day from all across the country. They, they got a chance to go to the All Star to the Stay in School Jam, where the, where the players encouraged them to keep. Stay in school. They cared about the kids. You know, like the kids got to go to the whole entire weekend of all-star activities. That was great for, for them because that, that was a once-in-a-lifetime chance for a lot of those kids. You know, to see their stars together on on, on the court, and it, it was it was it was such, it was such a it was such a good thing. I mean, I mean, and the slam dunk kind of was Jordan them. I went to, like I went to a couple of those stay in school jams. I mean, they they stopped doing that. It's like it's like the players now don't even care don't even care about the kids either. But they need as far as bringing. Some crowds lower the lower the prices because the prices to even attend are tro- are just insane now. And then reach back out to the young to the younger kids, get them excited, reward them for for doing right in school and different things, and allow allow them to go. That that would take care of some of it. Now the game itself, I don't I don't know I don't know how you're right. I don't know how to fix that. I mean, like the game itself has gotten so bad. I, you know, I really don't know you know what we can do about that, but. Um, de- definitely. I mean, I mean, they, they need they need to at least reach out to the younger generation again and get them back back involved because that was that was exciting. NBC, Nickelodeon, all those shows would show the NBA Stay in School Jam and all the All Star activities. And it used to be so much more. It used to be a very exciting. It was a big deal. And somewhere along the way, we lost that. And 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 it, it, it's been very bad since then. Yep, Brian. And, thank you, buddy. I appreciate the phone call. Uh, Chase is up next on the phone lines. Chase, what's going on, brother? How are you? Chase, you with us? Uh-oh. Chase. Oh, sorry. It's, it's James, Kyle. What's oh, going on? James. Going, oh, you're good. You're good, James. What's going on, man? Sorry about that. No problem, man. Hey, I got a quick solution for the All-Star game. These players care about money, right? That's all they care about. Why don't we tie it in the Supermax? 
why don't you say something like, if you have X amount of all-star wins, not appearances, but wins that ties into their Supermax deals, that way you're not paying someone every year to win the game. What you're doing is you're incentivizing them not only to play, but you're incentivizing them to also win, which is going to allow people to have a more competitive game because I guarantee you, if Jalen Brown or someone like that has $100 million riding on the fact they need to win an all-star game to hit X tier in their Supermax deal, it's going to incentivize that guy to win and probably get on the butts of everybody else to win the game for that guy, too. And you're going to have these players cycling through every year, like LaMelo Ball, like Brandon Miller, hopefully, whenever he gets to his all-star game appearances. What they would be able to do is you'd be able to focus on one guy who doesn't qualify for a Supermax for whatever reason, incentivize them to do it by putting in all-star wins involved in there, and maybe that takes out some of the BS injuries, too, why people don't want to go to the game. You're going to really incentivize players not only appear, but also win. I think that's going to be a solution for you. Hopefully the family's well, man. Hey, thank you, Jace. Appreciate the phone call. 704-570-9610. I I don't think you're ever going to get the Players Association to sign off on that. Uh, That would have to be negotiated in the CBA, and there's no way they're ever going to sign off on that. And here's why. This is the pervasive attitude about the game now, and I want to move on. Um, Anthony Edwards, Smoke already pointed this out. Anthony Edwards, uh, before the game, I think Saturday, said, quote, for me, it's an all-star game, so I don't think I will ever look at it like being super competitive. It's always fun. I don't know what they can do to make it more competitive. It's a break. I don't think nobody wants to come here and compete, end quote. The less, I don't think nobody wants to come here and compete. Then scrap the game. Because they used to. They used to. They used to want to compete. A lot of guys did. Not. I'm not saying Sean Kemp showed up wanting to put 30 on everybody every year. But MJ and Kobe and a lot of those guys absolutely did. Remember when MJ was a was a reserve in Washington? Is that what I'm trying to that think? That was his final year. That was the 03 All Star yeah, game in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and he probably would have. He was almost the All Star game MVP. And he he probably would have been. He had a fadeaway with five seconds that looked like it won the game. But then here comes Kobe. Attempts a three for the win. Gets fouled. Makes two free throws. They go to overtime. <laughs> that was probably MJ's last great moment. Yeah, I mean, these guys were going at it then, man. Stephon Marbury, Allen Iverson, they used to go at it. Magic and Larry used to go at it. Like, it, it was a thing. I promise you, young bucks it, bucks, it was a thing, man. And now, last night, you know how bad it has to be for me to rather watch a dating reality show than, than sports? It, it's bad. 704-570-9610. Keep hitting us up on the text line. Um, while we get set to have a quick conversation with Mike Salk of ESPN Seattle 710. Um, you know, there, there's a lot that Carolina, we think, could potentially do this offseason with the roster. The Panthers, that is. I want to play this conversation for you to set up the conversation with Mike Salk here in just a couple of minutes. But Mike Salk and Brock Heward, a former NFL quarterback, they had a conversation on Friday about trading DK Metcalf, right? Um, and DK Metcalf, of course, the kind of wide receiver, in theory anyway, that we think Carolina is looking for. Here's Mike Salk and Brock Heward on Friday. Check this out. But if you really do want to try to make a change in who you are, DK Metcalf is probably the asset you have that would bring back the most and allow you to change your lineup or your roster construction. Yeah. This is not a, yeah, everybody I don't like sees DK the, Metcalf. Yeah, everybody sees the column and, and, and the initial reactions. Like, oh, here's Salk again. Here's right. hot taker Salk. He's so negative. He hates DK Metcalf. Get rid of DK Metcalf. DK's too selfish. He's too individual, yada, yada, yada. And really what you're saying is he's your, golly, when you look at it, he... How many other valuable trade chips do you have? Essentially none. I mean, a a, a woolen would be a valuable guy. 
but he's really, really young, and you get him, and you want him to bounce back anyway, and mm -hmm. he's much more valuable to you than he would be anybody else. I mean, you start to look at it, yeah, and it is probably DK. I mean, uh, a Charles Cross would be another again. But just I'm not a looking young, to trade guys on the line correct. of scrimmage. So no. yeah, you know, when I see the the replies and the quote tweets and everything else that say things like, "Why are we talking about trading DK? He's the best player on the offense at the moment." I know, I know that. I totally understand. You think teams are lining up to get the seventh best player on your offense? Mm -mm. This isn't trading DK for a fifth round pick. It's not addition by subtraction. This is, if you want another first round pick and more than that, this is how you go out and get it. AJ Brown went for a first and a third. DK in theory should have a little bit more value because you've already paid him. So you're already eating the signing bonus mm -hmm. and the team that trades for him doesn't need to. There you go. They're talking about trading DK Metcalf up there. Dave Canales was the wide receivers coach in Seattle before he was the quarterbacks coach. Uh, there's a relationship there, as we as we understand, with uh, Canales. I actually do want to point out he was quarterbacks coach by the time DK got there. Okay, yeah. But, and so, again, you're right. He was that, but he was the wide receivers coach. Some of those holdover wide receivers coaches, though, still had a great relationship with him. Right. And point is, you know, he was a part of the same organization. So, what do we think? Like somebody just said, hey, yeah, but wouldn't we need a first rounder for DK Metcalf? Yeah, I mean, yeah, possibly. But some teams might look at 33 as a de facto first round pick. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, Smoke, should Carolina be in the, the DK Metcalf business if he truly would be on the block? No, because it's going to cost you a first. And you can say, well, we got a first in 2025. Well, guess what you don't have in 2025? A huh. second. Yeah. So then you would be going to the 2020. If you guys are frustrated with the draft right now, uh, guess what? <laughs> Next year's draft would be hell because you would be without a first or second round pick. So under normal circumstances, if you were in a situation like Philly where you had a first round pick this year, next year, I'd be like, yeah, okay. You know, DK in the prime of his career, get yourself a weapon, a wide receiver who's going to help your quarterback. But in this situation, I feel like you got to build a different way. Just given the fact that you, the assets you gave up for Bryce Young, you gave up the first round pick this year and you gave up a second round pick in 2025 I, I it's just as i keep on saying this organization for the past five years for the most part has been robbing peter to pay paul let's stop robbing peter to pay paul and just straight up pay paul our own way okay <laughs> okay all right yeah a little dave ramsey approach to paying paul huh i didn't even know dave ramsey had that approach <laughs> i'm not familiar with your game mr ramsey Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. Uh BG says, I think we should go to the free agency market. No, there is not a DK available, but we can find a number one through free agency. I, we're going to talk about this with Mike Salk of 710 ESPN Seattle here in a couple of minutes. So let's go to Smoke on the headlines. Who is Smoke? Where is Smoke? <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's fire. Let's go. All right, what you got over there? Well, we got breaking news from the NBA earlier this morning. Uh... The Nets head coach, Jacques Vaughn, got fired on his day off. He got fired the day after the All-Star game. Things have not been going great in Brooklyn, so it just kind of felt like it was, I guess, necessary. But but timing goes a little weird. But guess what, Kyle? Guess who's emerged as the leader for the interim head coaching role for the Nets for the rest of the year? Kevin Ali. You mean Kevin Ali? Kevin Ali, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I went too much on the Muhammad Ali with the Ali. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. So an NCAA coaching, oh, I can't, legend, but a champion is now the interim, possibly the interim head coach of the uh, New Jersey Nets. Or Brooklyn, jeez. Okay. Okay, I heard Fiddy earlier trying to speak into existence. New Nets head coach James Borrego. 
How do we feel about that? Honestly, that would not be the worst spot for him to go to as a head coach. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. I don't know if he wants to live in New York, but, you know, I, I think uh, they, that rent, I've heard is no joke. Yeah, they, they can do a lot worse. What else you got? All right. You mentioned this earlier, but uh, for the first time since 1996, an interim coach in his first game in college has beaten a top uh, AP top 25 team or top two team. Ohio State beat Purdue in a massive, massive stunner. Yeah, but that Big Ten, man. So deep, so good. Zach Eady's so good. Like, I like Zach Eady, so I'm not here for Zach Eady's yeah. slander, personally. But, um, man, that, that loss is really going to hurt the Big Ten and its reputation and Purdue's standing, right? Not. Does that, that only happens to the ACC's teams? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Just checking. What else you got? And unfortunately, speaking of the ACC and for the state of North Carolina, a legend passed away over the weekend. Lefty Drizel passed away, I uh, believe, Friday night, Saturday morning at the age of 92. One of the greatest college basketball coaches to ever do it. Coached at Georgia State, James Madison, Maryland, and Davidson, the first two being the most notable, and also was a basketball player for Duke in the 50s. Kyle, there was no one quite like Lefty. No. No, you're right about that. We'll talk more about Lefty later in the show. We'll come back. Mike Salk, ESPN 710 Seattle. We'll get his thoughts on Dave Canales, DK Metcalf, and more. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Walker Mail joined Weston Walker from 12 to 3. We continue the Panther position preview series. This time we're talking about the cornerbacks. All on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Radio 92.7 WFNZ emanating live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them at East Independence Boulevard or online at planetkianc.com. We are 35 minutes out from Hunter Bailey, Charlotte Observer, Charlotte Post. He covers the 49ers and the Hornets. We'll talk about both. Uh, We also at 5 o'clock go into some ACC hoops with Joe Ovius. That should be a fun conversation. By the way, Panther Bo, the only Panther slash Purdue fan in the audience. Uh, He's like Beetlejuice. You say his name, or really you say Purdue three times, and he's in. Uh, He says, I'm feeling some sarcasm in that Big Ten statement, KB. Well, yeah, I I don't want to be anti-Big Ten. I'm not not anti-Big Ten in my heart. I never have been. But it is comical. Purdue loses as the top team in the country to Ohio State with an interim coach. And everybody's like, oh, Purdue's going to be fine. Purdue's going to be fine. It's the depth of the conference. It's a meat grinder and all that, that sort of thing. But God forbid Duke loses to Pitt or Carolina loses to Syracuse. Now, this is a concerning trend for the ACC. I, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Joe Lenardi. <laughs> I'm not going to subtweet Joe Lenardi. Uh, it's a concerning trend. And every year, the Big Ten wets itself in the NCAA tournament and the ACC makes a run. But we don't have to talk about that. Let's talk about what we just discussed. We played you a snippet of Mike Salk, Brock Heward, ESPN 710 Seattle, a fine morning sports radio pair out there. Somebody, some might say great even. And they're talking about trading DK Metcalf. Oh, by the way, Dave Canales, new head coach here of the Carolina Panthers, spent many a year in Seattle. Let's talk about it all with Mike Salk of ESPN Seattle. He's back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Mike Salk, how you been, brother? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it is afternoon here, by the way, though. It's 347 in the afternoon. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> it's good to have you back, man. Um, th- let me just get some quick thoughts from you on on Dave Canales. I, I know that he really leapt onto people's radars last year with the job that he did in Tampa, but how much was he discussed by you guys out there in Seattle for all the years that, that he was there? And, and did you have a sense of what you had while he was there? 
I mean, honestly, very little. And, and probably the answer there is no. Uh, he was sort of a, a, a quiet member of the coaching staff and had been with Pete for a long time, had a, had a good relationship there and was one of those guys that, you know, w- was sort of lost in the shuffle a little bit. And with all of the conversations we had here about trying to find the right offensive coordinator to try to bridge the gap between Pete and Russell Wilson for all those years, uh, for whatever reason, his name really never came up. And then, you know, Russ left, Geno Smith came in. He had a lot of success as a quarterback coach with Geno and kind of got his career back on track and uh, then really made his bones, obviously, last year at Tampa. You kind of know the rest from there. But, no, I, I mean, I know he's a really good-looking dude. That's uh, <laughs> that's a big part of the conversation. <laughs> Any time Dave Canales comes up and – uh, I know he's written a book, but I, I, you know, he honestly was was never really a conversation here. Even this off season, when they were looking for a coach, his name really didn't come up much. So I, I guess, and I'm just asking because it's fascinating. You know, when you listen to guys like Geno Smith and others talk, they rave about Canales, and you know, clearly Canales was the quarterbacks coach there last year during Geno's real resurgence. I mean, was he discussed then at all? Did, did Geno talk about Dave Canales at all? Yeah, there there was the idea that that you know maybe as Gino regressed a little bit this past year, that maybe he was part of the reason why, and especially as Baker Mayfield started having the success that he did in Tampa, all of a sudden people's eyes kind of opened up, like, hey, wait a minute, you know, why is Gino not look quite as good as he did the year before? Why does Baker all of a sudden look you know a, a lot better than he had? And, and I think there was some certainly some questioning of like, hey, this was the one missing ingredient. But you know, it's a quarterbacks coach. How how deeply can you can you you know dig into that or, or assume that it's that versus all of the other things that it stayed the same or changed? So yeah, I mean, look, his name came up here certainly, but I wouldn't say that it was a major topic of conversation. Fair enough, Mike Salk, ESPN Seattle. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. What what was your position on Pete Carroll before the news came down that uh, he was transitioning to a new role? What was your reaction after? Yeah, and that's not really true. I mean, Pete's transitioning <laughs> to not working with the Seahawks anymore is, is really the more accurate uh, view of, of our description of what happened. Um, look, I, I'm an unabashed fan of Pete Carroll's. Um, what he did for this organization over the course of a 14-year career that coincides almost exactly with my time in Seattle. I got to, to the town one year before he did, spent one year with Jim Mora Jr., and then Pete came in. And, and the amount of success and the way he ran the program and culture building and effect upon the NFL and all of the things Pete's done, I, I'm just a huge fan of his. All of that being said, it did sort of feel this year like maybe it was just time. And, you know, look, there was a lot of kind of back and forth over the course of the last few years, starting with the Russell Wilson, let Russ cook and this and that. And throughout all of that, I think I really supported Pete's ideas, which were run the ball, you know, keep Russ in the best position to let him succeed. And I think Russ's ego got the best of him. And we saw what happened when he went to Denver and he got to try what he'd always wanted to do, throw the ball 30, 40 times a game. And, it didn't work very well. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was very, very uh, telling uh, about what, what, what was really going on behind the scenes here and how much Pete, I think, actually was covering for Russ and making Russ look good. That being said, you know, and it's not an age thing. I don't think Pete's too old to coach or anything like that. In fact, I think he could take another job and still have some success. I think things have just kind of run its course here, and it was just sort of time for them to, to take a new look 
and 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 a, a different approach to some of the things that were were kind of fraying at the edges, right? That makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it certainly does. Now, before I ask you, I played your your conversation with Brock about DK Metcalf for the audience here. But mm-hmm. let me let me first start with Mike McDonald, a guy that I loved in the in the coaching uh, process. Didn't think he'd end up here because of what we knew to be the owner's preference for an offensive guy. But big Mike McDonald fan. What what do you think of the hire, and and what do you expect the offensive identity looks like out there? Because I think that sets up the conversation about Metcalf. Yeah, so we had a conversation with him, got an opportunity to sit down with him a week ago, and very impressive guy. I mean, he's so young. He's 36 years old, which is, you know, you try not to keep saying it over and over again because he's more than just his age. But, man, after interviewing Pete Carroll once a week for 14 years, to then sit down with a guy who is, you know, essentially half of his age is definitely a little shock to the system. But, Really, really intense, smart. His intelligence comes through right away. Yeah, talk to us about how his dad was a West Point grad, which, you know, sort of helps explain, I think, his personality. He strikes me as very disciplined. And clearly, you know, he gets the game of football, had a lot of success, turning some guys who are just kind of coming off the street in that in that Baltimore defense, Kyle Van Oy and and, and Shadavion Clowney, and just turning them into absolute game wreckers again. So, yeah, I think we're pretty excited here. I don't know that we know what the offense is fully going to look like yet. We're familiar with Ryan Grubb just because he was here with the Huskies, but every conversation with him has been, hey, I know I threw the ball a lot. That's because I had Michael Penix and three receivers who were going to the NFL. We do expect them to still be physical and run the ball and maybe even mirror a little bit more of what Baltimore has been for the last decade plus. All right, DK Metcalf, how much do you want for him? Well, I, yeah, if I were in charge, what would I want? I mean, I think I'd need a first-round pick plus. I mean, A.J. Brown, who's a pretty good comp, went for a first and a third, and A.J. Brown at that time still needed to be paid. So D.K.'s already been paid. There's no no negotiation to go down. So, you know, if the Seahawks are to trade him, and certainly there's no evidence right now to suggest that they will other than that I think they should – um, yeah, I think you're probably looking at a first and second round pick in order to make it happen. Now, do you just, just to be clear, do you think he can play? Is that a piece that you'd like to keep under different circumstances? Or, you know, are you looking at a guy who you think maybe, you know, can fetch more value than he's worth in a couple of years? Right. Yeah, no, I like DK Metcalf. He's a really good player. And, you know, I've gotten killed for this take around town for the last week or so. <laughs> Because often when you suggest trading somebody, people think it's because you don't like that person or you want that person to go away or whatever the case may be. And and none of that is true. DK is a phenomenal player. I mean, he is, you know, the, the freakiest athlete maybe in the NFL and certainly in any conversation of the freakiest guys, he's in it. Um, he plays the deep ball well. He gets by people. He's physical. He blocks. I mean, there's so many things DK does well. And he's still really young and just starting to come into his own everything he's learned to do in the NFL. But if I look at the Seahawks team, I say, well, Mike McDonald wants to be bigger, more physical up front on both offense and defense. They may need to draft a quarterback in this year's draft where you might have five or six first-round picks. Next year, not expected to be anywhere close to that. And if you want to do both of those things at once, you're going to need resources to do it. And trading DK Metcalf would give them some of those resources. If they couldn't get back at least a first-round pick, if not a whole lot more than that, you know, I, I don't think that you go through with it. You just, you know, make do. But I just, I'm just one of those guys who's not. I don't believe in in building your team 
with with wide receiver being their premier position that everything is kind of built around. I don't think most of the teams that are built that way end up winning the Super Bowl. So if it's me, I'd rather kind of rejigger the way my team is built and try to get bigger and better on the offense and defensive line. And if I have to sacrifice a little bit of receiver, so be it. Mike Salk, ESPN Seattle, with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. We appreciate you popping in, buddy. Be well. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. Mike Salk, ESPN Seattle, morning drive alongside Brock Heward. He says he wants a first and a third for uh, DK Metcalf. Problem is, Carolina only has a second. Now, it's as close to a first as you can get while still being a second. It's 33. Could you, could you convince Seattle to take that? <laughs> that might also take you most of your draft as well in your cap room. So, yeah, I just think it's just better just to, you know, <sighs> The whole Dave Gettleman thing, we're like, you know, got to go shop at J.C. Penney's yeah. instead of going to Nordstrom or something like that. Okay. So, what, we're going free agent? Can I interest you in Michael Pittman Jr.? Yeah. Uh, really? That probably would be the biggest name I, I think you can legitimately get because it sounds like T's going to be franchise tagged. Marquise Brown? Eh. Not doing it for you? Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley. Yeah. That's who A.J. wants. That's who AJ wants. We'll we'll keep talking about this. Is DK Metcalf something that you might be interested in? Or would you rather go elsewhere? Carolina's got to find a wide receiver. They've got to find Bryce Young wide receiver help. It was nearly non-existent outside of Adam Thielen last year. They've got to be able to find and upgrade talent at the wide receiver spot. Who is your preference? 704-570-9610. Hit us up and let us know. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.